Acts 17, starting at verse 16 in Athens. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with them. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to advocate foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to the meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about the listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in a meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For, I, for as I walked around and looked carefully at the objects of worship, I found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Now, what you worship or something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men and they should inhabit the whole world and he determined times set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did so that men should seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of our own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set the day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof to this to all men by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, We want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysus, a member of the Areopagus. Also a woman known Demaris, a number of others. Now, I don't know about you, but one of the things I love about summer is the sunshine. Uh, but it does cause me a slight problem because our freezer is in the garage. So, uh, and I'm always the one that's sent out to the freezer because we have a, quite an inhabitant in our garage. They're called mice. Uh, uh, and therefore, Marion doesn't want to go there. So I go to the freezer And you open the door, you walk in, and it's completely black. There is no light in there whatsoever at all. And, of course, you come in from the sunshine, and you can see nothing. I could, of course, stay there for two or three minutes, and little by little, I can sort of generally see outlines of things. 
Uh, and I could stumble my way to the freezer, but I would lift the lid and the light doesn't work. So I, I still wouldn't know what I was doing. What I need is the light. And Paul, today, is in quite a brutal and challenging mood in our passage. And he is trying to switch the light on for the Athenians. Let's pray before we start. Heavenly Father, we do thank you uh, for this passage this morning. We thank you that this is your word, something that you have for us. And we pray uh, that just as Paul was trying to switch the light on for those people, that you would switch the light on for us this morning. You would help us to see, help us to understand, uh, and help us to live uh, in accordance with your will for our lives. Amen. So, you may remember, uh, we are indeed following um, uh, Paul's journeys. Uh, Last week he was in Thessalonica, uh, and he upset the Thessalonians. He seemed to upset people wherever he went, actually. He upset the Thessalonians, so he went to Berea, uh, and the Thessalonians got to hear of that, so they went down to Berea as well and said, whoa, get rid of this guy. Uh, So he left, and he went south to Athens, Uh, He went there before Silas and Timothy, who were left behind, um, trying to sort of pour oil on troubled water probably, uh, and explain a little bit more uh, about Christ in Berea. So as he is waiting, uh, Paul is walking around the city. Now Athens was a really important uh, city of its day. About 600 BC, uh, it was lived in by someone called Uh, Socrates. Uh, You may well know of the name Socrates, a great Greek thinker. One of his students, because they sat under uh, the the pupillage of someone, uh, was called Plato. You probably also know. Plato set up a university in Athens. It was called an academy. uh, And one of the students of Plato was someone called Aristotle. So, you know, the really big thinkers were in Athens. This is a really important place. They love to sit, they love to talk, they love to theologize, they loved to be religious, thinking about their future. Uh, and as Paul walked around, he could see all of these statues that was uh, commemorating the gods that they all believed in. There was probably the sun god, there was Baal, there was Asherah, there was probably a fertility god, and and so it went on. And and there, in the corner, just in case they'd missed someone, was a tomb to the unknown god. It was the sort of catch-all clause, just in case they'd got it wrong. So, metaphorically, they're stumbling in the dark. They've walked into their garage to find God, and they keep bumping into things. They think they found something, but they don't know what it is. And Paul is saying, I'll tell you. Enter Paul. And, of course, when someone comes into a situation, those that are on the opposing ends of the spectrum, immediately uh, the juices start Running. So you have the Epicureans and the Stoics. This is all quite uh, technical for you, isn't it? I apologise about that. But the, the Epicureans um, believed that, that there was a God, but he had no interest whatsoever in humankind. 
So you're on your own. Uh, everything was um, therefore for to live for the moment. It was all about pleasure. But Epicurus, who actually the religion was named after, um, his idea of pleasure was that you should live in peace and harmony and thoughtfulness for each other. Uh, Of course, when we say pleasure, it was exactly as they thought pleasure. Uh, That means you could do whatever you wanted. And so, over time, pleasure meant live for today because they did not believe in a resurrection. So, once you die, you're dead. So, live for the moment. Today is what it's all about. So, you've got those people on one side who say, well, there really isn't any God, just live for the moment. And on the other end, you've got the Stoics who did believe in God. In fact, they were pantheists. All these technical words, theism is obviously God, theos. Uh, Pan is everything, everywhere. Everything was God. So, they they were big into nature, because anything in nature could be God. And they believed what happened was fate. Uh, The one thing that they did like was reason. It was a very self-sufficient belief. Because if you could reason that that was the right thing to do, that's the right thing to do. So you have these sort of diametrically opposed views and all the, the different religions in between. And then you have Paul. And Paul puts his finger on two problems. They're related, but there are two problems. And the first is this stumbling in the dark. They are very confused. There were images of God everywhere. Verse 16. Uh, He was greatly distressed to see the city was full of idols. That was their first problem. Idolatry. Uh, An idol is something that's a replacement for God. It's an image that replaces the creator with something that's created. Replacing the creator with something that's created. Now, the obvious place to sort of think that through is, is Exodus 20, which is the Ten Commandments. I'm sure we all know that. Uh, the first one, you shall worship no other God but him, God himself. The second one, you shall not have any image that replaces God. I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what it says. So, have nothing in your view which is preventing you seeing God. An image or an idol. It's the same word. And the example then goes on in in Exodus. It's actually Exodus 32 then. When Moses goes up the mountain for the second time, you remember, and he, he spends a bit too long up there, the people get bored and they say, well, how can we worship? We've got nothing to worship without Moses being here. So they build a golden calf and they bow down and they worship the golden calf. Now that is an idol because it's an image. They wanted something near to them, close to them, that they could see, touch, handle, that was real. That was what they needed in order to worship. And actually we need to be careful whom or what we worship. We are made, the Bible says, in the image of God. And an image reflects the characteristics of the person that made it. We are literally a chip off the old block. And we feel at home only when we worship 
God. We're built up. We're honouring when we honour the person that made us. Psalm 139, at verse 14. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. And instead, of course, if we worship something that we have made, we are worshipping the person that made it. That's us. So you see the difference, the creator and the created. And then, so, when we look at it in that light, we can see that there are all sorts of things that might be for us an idol. What replaces God in your life? I shall be at my office desk tomorrow about quarter to seven in London. Is that my idol? Because I spend much more time thinking about work than I do about God. What about you? Arga? People love Argas. I'm not looking at anyone in particular. What about our car? Our relationships? Who is the most important person in our life? What about our hobby? Our need for exercise? I've started running and I can't stop thinking about running now. It's ridiculous. I'm injured at the moment, so that's quite good. All I can do is think about it. I don't have to do any. (laughs) Paul is asking here, and he is being quite brutal about it, what is your idol? What are you thinking about? What is taking the number one place in your life? And then he moves on to his second problem which is verse 22. Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. Do you think he's really seriously patting them on the back? He really isn't. It was a ceremony. It was very cerebral for them. They loved to worship their idols in acts of religion. They loved to talk about religion as if that would enable them to reach God. But ceremony is all external. It's all doing something. You don't have to believe it. You just do it. And when you talk about something, it's all inside. You're not connecting with something. It's not a relationship. A relationship is both inside and out. Something inside which causes you to do something. That's total. That's whole. That's real. And we also can be religious religious in the inverted commas when I was um, about 16 or 15 or 16 something like that I started going to um, St Saviour's Church Um, actually I'll go back a a, a few years before that I was probably yeah probably about 15 then Uh, and I went to a youth group run by Holy Trinity Church in Guildford and uh, if the, 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 the trick was for them that if you went to the youth group, you had to go to the church service. Well, fair play, I thought. Um, but what I didn't realise is that if you went to the church service, you had to get involved. So there I was, dressed in, I don't know what they're called, actually, but lots of white flowing dresses. Um, I mean, the full thing, not just surplus, uh, with hoods uh, and a, a snuffer, <laughs> which my boys always used to call a sniffer which is really good. So I went, my job was to go around lighting the candles uh, and then at the end of the service I'd snuff them out and you'd walk up and down and I had not the slightest idea what I was doing. As you can tell, I still don't very much, but (laughs) 
but I had no idea at all then. And, and all I could see were people sort of nodding and bowing. I had no idea, so I oh, right nod. And wherever I would go, I would be constantly nodding because I had no idea what I was supposed to be nodding to. And then I saw this girl. She was nice, but she went to St. Saviour's. Oh, no. So I had to go to St. Saviour's then as well. And when I was there, I, I heard someone speak called Harry Sutton. He was the chairman of SANS, South American Mission Society, uh, at the time. And, and he, he stood up, this elderly man, and he said, I want to talk to you about my parents. My parents uh, were the church wardens of the church. It's just a pity they weren't Christians. I thought, really? That's rather judgmental. But he actually had this conversation with his parents, and they became Christians. Uh, and the whole... The title of his talk was So Near and Yet So Far. How you could be religious, you could go to church out of duty and not joy. You could go there because it was your custom and not your calling. Oh, I was was in tears at this 75-year-old man telling me I was so near... And yet I was so far away. Why was I going? I was going to God. No, I wasn't. I was going because there was this smacking good girl going there. (laughs) Marion knows all about this. It's okay. (laughs) She is really nice though, isn't she? Rachel is very nice. (laughs) We may be here because we've always been here. This is where we come. But why are we here? Why are we really here? We might be doing things that appear to us completely harmless, but they might be for us a religion. Because they replace God. Forms of spiritualism, seeking emotional experience, looking for that nirvana, that getting out of ourselves. They're actually very dangerous. And we can be led astray so easily. I had a friend uh, at work, um, or I have a friend at work, who got up at four in the morning, lives in Banbury, so he got up at four in the morning to come into London so that he could uh, go to his yoga class. Uh, because that, for him, was, was centering in, it was good for his body, uh, and... What he realised, after about a year of doing this, not only was he completely worn out, <laughs> but he said, actually, there's, a, there's an element to yoga which I don't really like. It's a sort of spiritual element. And, of course, yoga derives from a spiritual exercise. But it's not a spiritual exercise aimed at God. And his, his wife goes to church and he said, I think what I really need is to go to church with my wife and not get up early to do the yoga. So he now does Pilates and goes to church. (laughs) But do you see the point? Yoga was completely harmless to him. But he realised that there was something more to it that was drawing him away from the thing which was really calling him, and that was God. A religion is where we give due honour to a deity. uh, And we can make an idol out of something that we do, And we worship it. So, to the answer. That's taken a long time, I apologise, to to get to that point. But the answer is quite quick, really. 
Because Paul starts exactly where they are, uh, and you can look at this passage in lots of ways. You know, is it the ideal sermon and, and so on? But Paul starts where they are. He starts with what they've noticed, what he's noticed, uh, and what they are up to. Uh, verse 24. He's already said, of course, that this place is full of idols, that there is an unknown God, and I'm going to tell you about it. So verse 24. This is the God that created the world. We've already said it in our, in our liturgy this morning. This is the God that started the world. He created everything. Bear in mind your creator. Then verse 26. He created one man. From that one man we have all been born. God is responsible for everything and for everyone. He made you and he made me as well. Let me read it from Peterson's version of the message actually. To God who made the world and everything in it, this master of sky and land doesn't live in custom-made shrines or need the human race to run errands for him, as if he couldn't take care of himself. He makes the creatures. The creatures don't make him. Starting from scratch, he made the entire human race and made the earth hospitable, with plenty of time and space for living, so that we could seek after God and not just grope around in the dark, but actually find him. So Paul says, let's look at your idolatry. You've created things, but you've ignored the creator. Right, now let's turn to your religion. This is verses 28 and 29. Because your God, that you worship in ceremony and in your head, you can have a relationship with. Again, from Peterson. He doesn't play, God doesn't play hide and seek with us. He's not remote, he's near. We live and move in him, can't get away from him. One of your poets said it well, we're the God created. In other words, we're created by God. We're the God created. Well, if we are the God created, it doesn't make a lot of sense to think we could hire a sculptor to chisel a God out of stone for us, does it? Can we make our own God? completely lost where I am. We've come to the end. And this is three things to take away with you. Because the key to this, he then challenges them in verse 30. Uh, because, you know, God calls you and God has told you the answer. Now is the time to stand up and say yes or no. So that's verse 30. But it turns in verse 28. In him you live and move and have your being. It's a fantastic verse. And if you don't remember anything else, go away and recite that to yourself. In him you live and move and have your being. Last, uh, two weeks ago, I used the word beginning with C, came. You, all, you can all remember exactly what it said, I, I know. I could test you, but I won't. Care, C, he cares for, came. Cares, he's, actious, he's active, he actually gets involved in our life. He's miraculous and he's effective, came. So God came. This word is D this time. D. Three Ds. Defined, developed, and devoted. Picking up those three, three phrases. In him we live. In him we are defined. We are defined by God. Because he made us. We are an expression of God. We are an image, a reflection of God. 
because we are made in his image. We need to find our place, therefore, in God. He is our definition. In him we live. Secondly, the developed. We move in him. And we continually have to move. We learn to live and grow by being close to God, by spending time with God. Next time you get on an aeroplane, don't think it's been sitting on the tarmac for three weeks and they've just turned the engines on. It's in use all the time. And every time it touches the ground and it taxis up, there are people that come out and check it over. Thank goodness for them. And they will check it over every single time. And regular as clockwork, once it's done a certain number of hours, they will take it into the hangar and they will look after it and they will give it complete maintenance check. They'll upgrade it for you so that next time you get on, you know it's going to be okay. And that is the same with God, our relationship with God. We have to develop our relationship with God. We have to keep going back again and again to him, spending time with him, developing that relationship so that it may run smoothly. And then finally, we are devoted to God. Isn't it lovely, that sense of being? That sense of when you've been away on holiday, you come home and you're home. It's comfortable, you're secure, you're safe, you know you belong when you get home. And that is the same sense with God. That's where we have our being, that's where we come alive. In him we move, uh, we live, we move and we have our being because we're defined by God, we're developed by God, we're devoted by God. See, idolatry tries to minimise that gap. God is big. He is truly awesome. And when we make something, you know, this eagle, for I mean, if that was our idol, we want it because we can bring it near, we can bring it close. How close do you want it? Because God is inside. He's amazing. He is huge, bigger than we can conceive, but he wants to be inside each one of us. God revealed himself in Jesus Christ. So he calls us to repent, to turn from the things that we have put in place which bar our entry to God. We've got to repent of that. God is the light. He is the light of the world. He is that switch that whereby we may see where we're going. Because in him we are defined, in him we are developing, in him we are devoted. In him we live and move and have our being. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage. We thank you that Paul just grabbed them by the scruff of the neck and said, you think you're so near and yet you're so far away. How I want God to come close, but not just close. I want him to be inside your every uh, every soul and every heart that is here. I want him to touch you because he's made you. I want him to touch you because he wants to walk with you. 
I want him to touch you because he wants you devoted to him. Because in him we live and move and have our being. Father, we do ask for the touch of your hand this morning that we might put aside those things that are in the way of our relationship, that we may come again to seek you and to love you as we should. In your name we pray. Amen.